Well, listen, we're talking about shaken this morning. We're in a series called Shaken, and this is the last message in this five-part series called Shaken. I hope, if you're like me, I hope you've gotten something out of it, uh, that the church needs a, and what we prayed this morning. We need a reawakening. We need to be shaken. Amen. And when the people prayed, the Bible says, the place was shaken. So we're talking about shaken. We're talking about Acts chapter 4, 29 through 31. We're talking about a prayer meeting that the saints of God were having. Now, this was not the upper room prayer meeting. This is not at the beginning of Acts when they were sent to the upper room and had to wait on the Holy Spirit. How many knows that that was uh, an infilling and the people were endued with power? But this is a couple chapters later, they came together again for a prayer meeting and began to pray. And God shook that place. And we're talking about the, the first church. This is our, uh, this is our example. They laid the, 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 the roadway for us to follow. We're talking about the first church and one of the first prayer meetings that they ever had. Uh, right after Jesus' ascension, amen, he poured out his spirit on those that were in a prayer meeting and and they began to pray and, and about many things that took place throughout the book of Acts. They began to lay a foundation. They began to lay a pathway for even where we are today, for the church. And so when you read the book of Acts, you see a bunch of firsts. And actually you see where we still need to be today. Read the book of Acts. And it's only a picture or a snapshot that we really have of what happened in a day-to-day -day, uh, type. It's really one of our only pictures or snapshots that we have as to what happened in day-to-day -day business of the church. And really what happened is what? People prayed. People were delivered. People were added to the church. Right? People were restored. And people were healed. People were healed. This is the church that Christ wanted to build. When he talked about in Matthew, he said, upon this rock. What is this rock? This rock is the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Well, what kind of church did Jesus envision on building? A church that had an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. A church where people were being healed. A church where demons were cast out and people were being delivered church where the lost were being saved. And so you see what was in Jesus' mind as you read the book of Acts. And you see what his thought was on how church would be. You see what his uh, ecclesiology was. What is our ecclesiology? You say, well, what does that word even mean? If I knew what that word meant, I might tell you what mine is. Well, all it means is how do we do church? What is your what is your mind frame and what is your thought pattern? What is your concept of, of how we do church? Not just how service might go, but, but how, do we, how do we do church? What is church all about? What is the purpose of it? I mean, is it evangelism? Are we to reach out to others? Or is it to come together and sing and worship, uh, listen to a, a word of preaching? Uh, you know, how, how do we do church? How is that all? What is it all about? Is it all about just deliverance? Is it all about just talking about faith. What is church all about? Well, when you read the book of Acts, you see, that's your ecclesiology. You see, when you read the book of Acts, you see what Jesus' ecclesiology was about church. And how many know if Jesus had a certain ecclesiology about church, 
we ought to have that same ecclesiology. Because the last time I checked, he is the head of the church. It's his thing. It's all about him, not about us. Amen? And so if you want to know how to do church, I dare you to not get together in a meeting and vote on how church should go. Don't come together and talk about, well, we want our church to be this way because we don't like the way that they do church over there. Let's come together and pray and find out what the mind of Christ is. Then we'll know how to do church. Then we'll know how to do it. But he said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And he said, I will give you keys to the kingdom. In Acts chapter 4, their response to pressure, because how many know they received some pressure, they received some persecution, their response to pressure was prayer. And then God's response, Jesus' response to prayer was that he would shake them. He would shake them and some things would begin to fall off that didn't need to be there. His response to their prayer was, I will come down like a mighty rushing wind and I will begin to cleanse you of all of those things that easily beset you. All of those thought processes, all of those habits, all of those things that are not like me, I will begin to wash away. And so that was Jesus' response to prayer. And so when we come together and we pray corporately, Jesus will respond just like he did in Acts chapter 4. That's why we're asking you to come and participate in prayer. Amen? So what is shaking? What are we talking about when we say shaking? Shaking is to move something by force. Move something by force or power. You see, when the Lord shakes us, he doesn't just come and just shake a little bit. He doesn't just kind of bump into you a little bit to see if something will happen. He's not saying, oh, listen, you're asleep and I don't really want to bother you, so it's time to get up. That's not how he treats us. I'll tell you how he treats us. He treats us like an army drill sergeant. Wake up this morning. Come on, it's time to get up. Let's go. Awake to righteousness. That's the way he shakes us. Shaking is to move something by force or power. For what purpose? To remove obstacles. Those things that we're hanging on to as we sleep comfortably in our bed or in the lap of the world, like Samson did in Delilah's lap. But God comes and he begins to shake us. And he says, you don't need all of those things that you're used to, those things that you're hanging on to. I'm trying to get my ecclesiology into you. You see, your ecclesiology is based on experience, what you know about church, how you grew up in church, how you see church on TV. Come on now. But Jesus says, I might have a different way to do things. But in order to get that into you, the first thing I need to do is shake you. Shake out all of those ideas that you have. Shake out all of those traditions that are tripping you up. I need to shake all of that out so I can get into you my ecclesiology. Shake off unwanted things. And then for the final purpose to arouse to action. That's why you get up in the morning. 
That's why you get up in the morning. You don't get up just to go sit down. You get up to do something. Come on now. We get up to go to work. We get up to go to the store. We get up to go work out. <clears throat> Some of us. <laughs> Most of us. <laughs> All of us should. <laughs> Come on, we get up to do something. And so God is not shaking us for nothing. He's shaking us, saints, to arouse us to action, to do something, not to sit. We are not going to be a four-walls church where we come in, sit, listen, maybe clap a little bit if we feel good, and then go on about our day and go on about our business. Too many people are falling by the wayside. Pastor Phil said it last week. There's more homeless in this city than he's ever seen. Come on. My wife mentioned it today. Good Lord, how are there so many homeless people? I mean, there's people that need Jesus. They need what you have to offer. Jesus doesn't speak anymore with a big booming voice from the sky. That's how he set it up. Not that he can't. He can do anything he wants to do. But what he does do is he uses you and he uses me. But we have to be available there's an old choir song that says, Lord, I'm available to you. That's the song that needs to be in our heart. Lord, I am available to you. So as he shakes us and as he arouses us to action, we need to say, Lord, here I am. I am now awake and I am ready <clears throat> to do your will, whatever it is you would have for me to do. Acts chapter 4, verse 30 says this. It says, stretch out your hand to heal. Stretch it out and grant that wonders and miracles may be performed through the name of your servant, Jesus. Name of your servant, Jesus. I don't use, I don't study from the message translation, but there's some, uh, there's some passages that, uh, I use after reading maybe my New King James or another translation to kind of illuminate or maybe the Amplified, things like that. I like this, what this translation has to say about this. As you stretch out your hand to us in healings and miracles and wonders, and the reason why I like that is because God is continuing to do it. He is stretching out his hand. You didn't miss the boat. God fills us with his spirit, and he continues to fill us with his spirit. You see, the day of Pentecost was not the only outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God continues to do it. How many know that God is always speaking, always pouring, always stretching? But we have a part to play in that. We have to come to him to receive. Acts 4.30 speaks about a realm of Christianity that really is not readily accepted, I'll say, in this part of the world today. It really isn't. It's not promoted or uh, in our particular nation right now. If you were to look at some commentary of some writers and some studiers and some researchers, those who are qualified to talk about the canicity of word and they have all these degrees you would see that they really don't talk about Acts 4.30 as something that needs to happen in the church today. 
They say we no longer need this external force or power to prove the word of God because we have the scripture with us today. We have the word of God. So you don't need to talk about these things or preach these things because we have the word of God. That was something that happened back in, you know, the Bible days, back when the church was first starting and Jesus needed to do that just so he could establish his church. It sounds good, except the only problem with that is it's not true. The only problem I have with that statement is it's not true. When you talk about miracles, signs, and wonders moving in the kingdom of God, I believe that it's still true for today. How many believe that? And when you go and when you look at even the early church fathers who wrote after the apostles, 100 A.D., 200 A.D., and when you, uh, you'll find a number of preachers and teachers and writers like Eusebius and Augustine and all of these who talked about how miracles and signs and wonders happen in their communities. Healings and deliverances. All of these things continued to happen after the last initial apostle was dead. Continued to happen. And you see it still happens in the church today. As you go through all of the movements from Luther and uh, all of these, Wesley, and even up to today, Billy Graham and uh, Bishop Jakes and Amendola, all of them, you see that the power of God is still in the church today. It wasn't just for that time. God is not a one-time God. In fact, God is outside of eternity, outside of it. And the last time I checked, Jesus was the same. What? Yesterday. Now, something has changed, but it wasn't the word of God. It wasn't the word of God that changed. What changed are people who began to meld Christianity down to a palatable religion, a science, so that it was in line with all the other religions of the world and now it seems that we don't even have enough power to blow the, the, the peach off of a, or fuzz off of a peach, doesn't seem like. Doesn't seem like it. We talk about it, but where is the power? Where are the healings? Where are the people getting delivered? We no longer have that power sometimes, saints, because we're becoming an academic pursuit. I'm using that as a noun. We are becoming an academic pursuit. We, we try to, 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 to find some higher uh, form of academia, and then we, we put that into the church. Molds us into some reasonable religion. But I want to tell you, we cannot build the church on academic knowledge. And I want you to know that I am not one of those who believe that you can build on academic knowledge alone can't build the church on academic knowledge. I mean, I have a degree like some of you. I've studied religious studies, and I've studied biblical archaeology, and hermeneutics, and homiletics, and all of those things, and I probably could go home and memorize some words, and you say, wow, that guy knows a lot of words. He knows a lot of Greek words. But who gives a rip about the words and the wow if you have no power? If there's no power... We need some power, church. We need the Holy Spirit to move in our midst. We need God to stretch out his hand 
to heal us. We need him to stretch out his hand. Now, I'm not against teaching. We, we, we tell our kids and we, we tell them about the importance of knowledge and the importance of uh, education. You know, you need to have it. You need to have it. And in the church, you need to have it. God said, study to show yourself what? Approved. The only way you're going to do that is to study. Some of us need to come to, uh, we need to come early in the morning on 9 o'clock on Sundays, Sunday school. Study, learn, show yourself approved. Come on now. But I'm going to tell you, it can't stop there. We need to be in our prayer closet, praying, asking God for power. And he will do it. God will do it. We need to ask him, saints, to stretch out his hand. Stretch out his hand to heal. Why? What does that do? What, what do we mean when we say, God, please stretch out your hand? What I'm talking about is I'm not talking about a God who is so far away that he has to stretch out his hand and come find us. I know that Jesus lives in our hearts and he's right here. But what I'm talking about when I say stretch out your hand, it means to extend the reach as to close the gap between what we think of God and what he thinks of us. It means to enlarge the reach beyond natural limits. To forcefully reach against all resistance. Even resistance that we place by thoughts and roadblocks. To reach through that. To hold out the hand. To touch a person. To reach, now listen to this, with intensity and persistence. That's what God does. He stretches out and he reaches with intensity and persistence. Now I want to I tell you this morning, we, we prayed last week for healing. We prayed last week for healing, that God would heal. We know that God is not just a healer, as we talked about last week, but God is healing. He is the healer, and he is healing. And if you come into his presence, you have all the benefits of everything that he has. He is healing. Abraham said it like this. He said, Lord, you are my very great reward. Not your healing, not your finances, not your deliverance, not even your salvation. But you, O oh God, are my very great reward. And that's where we need to be. That's where he wants our mind, to seek him, not his hand. If we do that, he will stretch out his hand over us to heal. Now, God has a part, the way he set it up in this thing, and we have a part. Last week we prayed for healing. The Bible clearly says that, is there, are there any sick among you? Come to the elders. Let them lay hands on you, that they might pray for you, that you might be healed. But I want to tell you something else. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, I hate... To, to, to say this, but how many know that we are at a point in a dispensation where we can bypass the priest? The human priest. I'm not talking about the wonderful counselor priest who's ever making intercession for us. But God wants you to know this morning that you can come to him. It is true. The Bible does say, listen, maybe your, your faith is 
weak. Maybe there's some things in there you're just not sure about, you don't believe. Listen, come to the elders. They will lay hands on you. They will pray for you. No problem, no doubt. But listen, God wants us to move on unto full stature. He wants us to know that we can come, that the veil has been rent. We can come right into the Holy of Holies where he is, and we can say, my God, I'm in your presence. Heal me, deliver me, restore me, save me. That's what God wants us to know. But listen, there's a part that we have to play, and that part is faith. That part is faith. You see, God says this, without faith, it is what? Impossible to please him. I'm going to be talking about that on some Wednesdays, Wednesdays coming up, the next couple of Wednesdays. If you can come out to Wednesdays, we're going to be talking about faith a little bit. But he says it's impossible to please him without faith. And he goes on to say those that come to God must believe that he is, semicolon. It stops right there. You must believe that he is. He is what? That he is God. That he is I am that I am. That there is no one like him. There is no one above him. There's no one beside him. You must believe that he is. Then it goes on to say, and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so, saints, we have a part to play. Could he reward us without seeking him? Of course he could. Could he heal us without us asking for it? Of course he could. Could he bless us without God can do anything he wants to do. But the way he set it up is that we can't even please him without faith. We have to have faith. We must believe, saints. We must believe. It, that is our part. We must believe in our heart and do not doubt. Do you know that when Jesus was walking on water and Peter stepped out of that boat to go to Jesus, he was walking on the word of God and they started to, when he almost got to, to the Lord Jesus, he started to sink and Jesus reached down, stretched out his hand, come on, picked him up. But when they got back to the boat, what did he say to, to Peter? Why did you doubt? Why did you, you were walking on water. Why did you doubt? I don't know about you, but I believe that I can be healed. I believe it. It's, it's not magic, saints. It's not magic. There's not something you say Jesus three times and all of a sudden you have $25 in your bank account. This is not magic. $25 is not that much. I guess I should have said 2500 maybe, but... But we don't serve a magician. Come on. We serve the almighty God. But it's not magic, but what it is, is something God calls faith. If you will, I, in other words, he already has it. It's not that something will appear, it's already there. Here's what it's like. It's like a bank account that's been set up for you that has a million dollars in it. Now, you don't know that that bank account is there. But all of a sudden, somebody tells you, listen, Becky, there's a bank account set up in your name. It's got a million dollars in it. It's that old national bank. They even tell you where it's at. But guess what? 
As she sits here, she doesn't have a million dollars. Not in her hand. What does she have to do? Go get it. Go to the bank. And that's what your faith does. Your faith brings you to the Lord and to the provision what God has already provided for you. I'm saying what he already provided for you. What he had already provided for you. It's up to us to cross that bridge with faith. We have to believe. Listen, the reason why I'm emphasizing that this morning, saints, is because he said, you can't even please me. You can't even please me. In other words, don't knock on the door. Don't call me. Don't do anything. You can't even please me without faith. That's what it says. Without faith, it is impossible. It can't happen. You can't do it. And so we must believe. Listen, Jesus people, who I believe we are, Jesus people believed in healing. Acts 3, 11 says, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, and they were greatly amazed. He believed and he held on. Come on. Acts 4, 14, And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Why? Because he believed. This man believed. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says this, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, listen, he didn't even get to pastors and evangelists, said this, After that, miracles. Now God appointed it. What changed? If God appointed it, what changed? If there are no miracles today, what changed? Did God, did it say he appointed it for a few months? He appointed it only for the very first church in Jerusalem? He appointed it only for a time? It says, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, variety of tongues. God appointed these things in the church, saints. He appointed them. Now, if he appointed them, they should be happening. Come on now. We must believe it. And it's up to us to bridge the gap. Here's what we have to believe. We must believe that healings and miracles are a part of the kingdom of God. How many want to walk in the kingdom of God? Come on. You are no longer, you are citizens of the, you are not citizens of this world. You are in this world, but what? Not of it. But your citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And we must believe that healings and miracles are a part of that kingdom. They are a part of it. Isaiah 53. You know this verse of scripture. 4 and 5 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Come on, you want to talk about the four benefits of the cross as we come up on Easter? Four benefits of the cross right here. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And I'll skip forward to Peter. Peter said it like this as he quoted it. By his stripes we were healed. Four benefits of the cross. The cross has already happened. By his stripes, we were healed. question is not, were we healed? The question is, do we believe it? Do we believe it? Because 1 Peter 2.24 says that. By whose stripes you 
were healed. Work already done. This is what Jesus said. Now, this is from Jesus. This is not from Peter, not from Paul, not even from Eusebius. Come on, Augustine, none of them. This is from Jesus. He said this in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say to you, whatever. King James says, whatsoever. Things. Whatever things. Things. You ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will what? You will have them. Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, again, I want to emphasize we're not talking about magic because we must first what? Believe that he is. Magic, you don't have to believe that God is. You believe in the trick. God doesn't perform tricks. He wants you to have a relationship with him. He's a gracious father. Listen, all you have to do is know me. Come into my presence, have a relationship with me. And then you will forget not all of my benefits. All of, my, all of the benefits I have for you are in my presence. So then what is our job in this? To believe. How do we do that? We need to position our faith in our hearts for healings and miracles. We need to position our... Things don't happen by happenstance and accident. It doesn't happen like that. My wife and I were having a conversation this morning about our children and, you know, their purpose in life and, and those types of things. And we were saying, listen, they may have a purpose and, uh, you know, they may have gifts and they may have talents. But listen, we have to position them in the right places. We have to research schools maybe that they'll go to. We have to, we have to be the ones that put them in certain programs or talk to them, teach them at home. We have, to, we have a part to play in this thing. We have to position them for their destiny and for the rest of their life. Otherwise, they'll be like some others who look back and say, boy, I sure was talented if I would have done this or if I would have done that. And I told my wife, I just don't want our kids to be that way. I'd rather them try and fail than to look back and say, boy, if I would have just done this or if I would have tried that. Too many times, how many people have said, I know I've said it. And I ask you to raise your hand, I know I've said it. Boy, if I would have just done this and I would have done that. Well, listen, I don't want that for my children. You shouldn't want that for your children or your grandchildren. God doesn't want that for you. But it can certainly happen. It's happened before, and I'm sure it will happen again. But it's not what God wants. And guess what? For you and I, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. It's not over. This thing is not over. It doesn't matter. You can start today. God told Abraham this. He said, look at where you're standing. He didn't say, move out to where I'm. He said, look right from where you're standing. Now, look out. Now you can see what I will give you. But it starts from where you are. Moses said, how are we going to get across this sea? It's not a river. It's not a creek. How are we going to get across this thing? He said, what do you have in your hand? What do you have? I'm not going to give you something miraculously. I'm not going to be like a movie and make something appear. What do you already have in your hand? Raise it up. And the sea split. I believe that God is saying to some of us today, what do you have in your hand? Don't go looking for something else. You don't need to go to the bank and get a loan. Come on now. You don't need to go through all of that. Don't look. Don't envy someone else. What do you have? 
what have I given you? What gifts do you have in your hand right now? That's what God is saying to some of us this morning. What do you have right now? Because I'll take what you have and make your name great for my sake. That's what God is telling us this morning. Don't matter your age. Don't matter what you've been through. Well, you don't know, Lord, what I've done. I've messed up and I said this thing and I've done that and I did, did these drugs and I stole that and all that. Guess what? God already knew that. You're not surprising God one bit. <laughs> no matter what you've done. Well, I did this. I killed somebody. I was, I did. God knew what you've done already. And guess what? Guess what? He loves us anyway, despite all of those things. I want to tell you something this morning, saints. Where sin does abound, grace does that much more abound. You cannot outsin God's grace. Well, what shall we say then? Is that an excuse to sin? God forbid, Paul said. No, it's not an excuse. Because he will crush you now. Oh, he'll crush you. If you just think that way, he'll crush you. He will crush you into submission until you say, okay, Lord, I quit. You were right. I don't want to sin anymore. I'm tired of all this sin. Tired of all this stuff. I want to be in your presence. I want to live the abundant life. I do want to be prosperous in every area of my life that I might glorify you and that your kingdom might come. I want to be an example. You can be the example. Tired of looking at others saying they're the example. Well, look at this one. Boy, he sure does have a lot of faith. No, you, listen. I want to give away the Wednesday message, but I want to tell you something. God has given us all the measure of faith. Right? You know, it's kind of like this. You look at somebody else, you say, boy, that guy sure is muscular. He's got a lot of muscles. He's got more muscles than me. Guess what? He doesn't have more muscles than you. He's got the same amount you have. He just worked them out. <laughs> he don't have more muscles than you. Person doesn't have more faith than you have. You have the same amount of faith. But they just work theirs out. You need to work it out. You want it to increase, work it out. Believe God. When nobody else believes, believe him. Continue. Be persistent. Be diligent. He said, those that diligently seek me. He didn't say you pray one night, uh, Saturday night I pray, Sunday morning it didn't happen, so guess what, forget it. You know, I thought he was, you know, I thought he was going to do something. No. He said, diligently seek me. Diligently seek me. We need to position our faith and our heart for healings and miracles. Now, how do you do that? Here's how we do that, saints. Very simple things, but listen, if you're like me, you need them drilled into you every day. Number one, we need to submit ourselves to God. I need to submit myself to God. What does James say? 4, 7 through 10 says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner. You double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. What is James saying right there? All he's really saying is be humble before the Lord. Like Paul said in Romans, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But guess what? Think of yourself as highly as God thinks of you. Come on now. 
just not more highly than you are. Because when you do that, you're outside of God. Come on. Position yourself under God's word. Submit yourself to God. Say, I'll try it your way, Lord. I've tried it my way. Now let me see what you have to say. Let me read some scriptures. Let me read some principles in scripture. And let me try to follow that and see what you will do. Let me try tithing. Come on now. Uh, he said, prove me. I didn't say it. He said it. He said, prove me. Prove me. We need to submit ourselves, saints. Number two, fix my eyes and heart on God's word. Now, you say, well, that's the same thing as submitting yourself. But what I want to emphasize here is the fix. 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 We are so easily distracted by things. I know I am. I get so e Shiny object. I heard looking at one say, oh, shiny object. What's this over here? We are so easily distracted by things. You know, we say, oh, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. You know what? We're doing this 21-day of prayer and fasting. And I'm, I said, okay, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast this certain thing. I'm going to fast, and I'm not going to do any sugar. I'm not going to do any sugar. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to pray every single day. And then your old friend calls you up. Man, I haven't seen you in 10 years. Let's go out to lunch. Oh, Charlie's. Well, really, I'm fasting. But you know what? I haven't seen him in 10 years. So here we go. Shiny object. Now you're distracted. Well, guess what? Your old friend may not be the devil, but I tell you what, the devil sure is distracting you. If you haven't seen him in 10 years, guess what? He can wait 18 more days. You're three days into your fast. <laughs> or... Go to Old Charlie's and get a salad. You can do that too. You can always do that. There's things we can do. We need to fix our eyes and our hearts on God's word. What he says, let's do it. Why? Because Romans 10, 17 says what? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith doesn't come by hearing anything else. This is what, where faith comes by, hearing this word. And that word is rhema, the rhema word of God. That's how faith comes. Proverbs 4, my son, give attention to my word. Give attention to them. Pay attention. I do my kids like this sometimes. I think I've said this before. I'm sure you maybe have done your children like this. I know my mom has done me this way. You know, when she really wants me to do something, she'll say, look at me, look, look at me, look. Look at me. Look. Hey, I'm talking to you. Look at me. Okay. Dang, Mom, okay. All right, look at me. Because I want you to get this. Listen, pay attention to my words. Give attention to what I'm saying. Because I know if I didn't, there would be consequences. God is telling us, give attention to my words. Incline your ear. Turn your ear this way. Incline it. What, are you, what is he really saying? You ever read a scripture and then said, wait a minute, I need to read that again. I want to see what he's really saying. What is he really saying? Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Now this is the word of God. This is the word of God. Health to all their flesh. That's what it says in Proverbs. Try him. Try fixing your eyes and your heart on God's word. Believe what he says. 
Psalms 107, 20 says he sent his word and healed them. That's what he did. He sent his word, delivered them from their destructions. Just sent his word. We have to believe it. And then don't be confused or discouraged if someone's not healed. And I'll tell you there's several reasons for that. One being you don't know what their faith level is. Because this is what, this is what I want uh, to tell you and I want to get across to you. Listen, when we're talking about faith and we're talking about healing, again, I'm going to talk about this. I keep plugging this. I'm going to talk about this on Wednesdays. So I won't give it all away and make you come out on Wednesdays. But when we're talking about faith and when we're talking about healing, your faith plays a part. You see, you come to the elder or you come to someone uh, to pray for you and lay hands on you. Yes, they have faith that you will be healed. But guess what? If you don't believe it, now God, God can do what he wants to do. God can override anything to show his might and his power. Maybe he's trying to draw you. So maybe there's a time where he'll just override it even though you don't believe. Because uh, the peasant said, help, I believe, Lord, but help thou my unbelief. But see, his heart, he wanted to believe. And God will help you with that. But if you are one that doesn't believe, no matter how much prayer you get, no matter how many hands that are laid on you, you will probably be in that same situation. Because you have to believe. And so when you see someone else getting prayed for, and maybe they're not healed, don't be discouraged. What are we supposed to, we just said it, fix our eyes and our heart on God's word. You don't want to know what that is? That's a shiny object. That's exactly what it is. When you see, well, this person prayed, they got prayed for, they prayed, they, they said this, they said they were going to do that, and it didn't work. Well, guess what? That could be your shiny object. Fix your heart and your mind on God. Don't be confused. Know that you know that you know that you know God's word is true. If I were to ask you today, do you love your mom or your sister? And you say, yes, of course, I love my mother. And then I would say, well, how do you know? You might say, well, I, I don't know, it's a feeling I have, or she's my mother, or, you know, how do you know you love her? You just know. Do you love your children? How do you know? You know that you know. It's in your Noah. <laughs> you know. It's in your heart. This is where we have to come to with God's word. Know, saints, that you know, that you know, that you know. And not, don't let anyone discourage you. Don't let any shiny object. Don't look to the left or to the right. But straight ahead, God's word. Don't be confused or discouraged. Come on now. Believe for healing and pray for healing. But let God do his work. Exercise your faith. Exercise it. It's not going to grow. It's not going to build up unless you exercise it. Right? Faith is more than confession, isn't it? It's action. I believe it. Next. Ask for prayer and ask for a lot of it. Come on, we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for each other. We really do. Ask for prayer and ask for a lot of it. Prayer is free. Prayer has no bad side effects. 
And prayer takes very little time. Unless you like my cousin who prays eternally. But uh, most of the time, prayer takes very little time. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. Prayer for healing is prayer for God's cure and God's recovery. Sometimes it may be a fast miracle right before your eyes. God is able to do that, and God has done it, and God will do it again. Lay hands, boom. It's now faith. Come on. Now faith. God is in control, and he does perform miracles. Why? Because we are his workmanship. We are his people. He does love us at all times. We need not be afraid. We can trust him. God sees the end from the beginning, and he knows what to do and when to do it, saints. Mark 10, 51 says, so Jesus answered and said unto him, listen, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, that I might receive my sight. That I might receive my sight. Saints, we must believe. We have to have faith. It's at the very core of who we are. We're not getting together like a club you know, this is not the, I don't know what, club, Elks Club or, you know, we're not getting together just, just to say we're getting together, to play cards. And, this is our life. Right here this morning, this is our life. This is not what we do. This is who we are. You are a Christian. You are redeemed. You are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is who we are. You are blessed in the city and blessed in the field. You are blessed when you come and when you go. Come on, this is who you are. Now, your enemy will get you to think that you're somebody else. And I'll tell you something else. Just because you don't act like it all the time doesn't mean that's not who you are. All we need to do is start acting like who we already are. You acting like a Christian is not going to make you a Christian. But because you are a Christian now, let's start acting like it. Let's believe God. Come on. Who's going to believe God with me this morning? Hmm. Who's going to believe God with me this morning?